Chapter 8 of Non-Combatants and Others by Rose Macaulay This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus Basil at Violette June went by and the war went on, and the Russians were driven back in Galicia, and the Germans took Lemberg, and trenches were lost and won in France, and there was fighting round Ypres, and Basil Doy had the middle finger of his right hand cut off, and there was some glorious weather, and zeppelin raids in the eastern counties, and it was warm and stuffy in London, and Mrs. Sandomir wrote to Alex from the United States that more than ever now, since their darling ball was added to the toll of wasted lives, war must not occur again. July went by and the war went on, and trenches were lost and won, and there was fighting round Ypres, and a German success at Hocher, and the Russians were driven back in Galicia, and Basil Doy left hospital and went with his mother to Devonshire, and there were Zeppelin raids in the eastern counties, and the summer term at the art school ended, and Alex went away from Clapton to Wood End, and her mother wrote that American women were splendid to work with, and that it was supremely important that the state should remain neutral, and that there were many hitches in the way of arbitration, but some hope. August went by, and the war went on, and Warsaw was taken, and the National Register, and trenches were lost and won, and there was fighting round Ypres, and a British success at Hoha and in Gallipoli, and Zeppelin raids on the eastern counties, and Nicholas and Alex went away together for a holiday to a village in Munster, where the only newspaper which appeared with regularity was the Ballydehob Weekly Dispatch, and Violette was shut up, and Mrs. Frampton stayed with Aunt Nellie and Kate and Evie with friends, and Mrs. Sandomir wrote from Sweden that the Swedes were promising but apathetic, and their government shy. September went by, and the war went on, and the Russians rallied and retreated and rallied in Galicia, and a great allied advance in France began and ended, and the hospitals filled up, and there were Zeppelin raids on the eastern counties, and Mrs. Frampton and Kate and Evie came back to Violette, and the art school opened, and Alex came back to Violette, and the Doys came back to town, and Mrs. Sandomir wrote from semez le where she was staying a little while again with the friends and helping to reconstruct, that it was striking how amenable to reason neutral and even belligerent governments were, if one talked to them reasonably. Even Ferdinand, though he had his faults. October began, and the war went on, and Bulgaria massed on the Serbian frontier and Russia sent her an ultimatum, and the Germans retook the Hohenzollern redoubt, and the hospitals got fuller, and the curious affair of Salonica began, and Terry Orme came home on leave, and Basil Doy, interviewed by the medical board, was told he could not rejoin yet, visited Cox's, and coming out of it, met Alex going up to the Strand. 2. Alex saw him first. He looked listless and pale and bored and rather cross, as he had done last time she saw him, a week ago. 
Basil was finding life something of a bore just now, and small things jarred. It was a nuisance, since he was on this ridiculous fighting business, not to be allowed to go and fight. There might be something doing any moment out there, and he not in it. His hand was really nearly all right now, and anyhow it wasn't much fun in town, as he couldn't paint, and nearly everyone was away. His eyes followed a girl who passed with her officer brother. He would have liked a healthy, pretty, jolly sort of girl like that to go about with. Some girl with poise and tone and sanity and no nerves, who never bothered about the war or anything. A placid, indifferent, healthy sort of girl, with all her fingers on and nothing the matter anywhere. He was sick of hurt and damaged bodies and minds. His artistic instinct and his natural vitality craved, in reaction, for the beautiful and the whole and the healthy. Looking up, he saw Alex standing at the corner of the strand, leaning on her ivory-topped stick and looking at him. She looked pale and thin and frail and pretty in her blue coat and skirt and white collar. The Sandomirs never wore mourning. He went up to her, a smile lifting his brows. "'Good. I was just feeling bored. Let's come and have tea.' Alex wasn't really altogether what he wanted. She was too nervy. Some nerve in him which had been badly jarred by the long ugliness of those months in France winced from contact with nervous people. Besides, he suspected her of feeling the same shrinking from him. She so hated the war and all its products. However, they had always amused each other. She was clever and nice to look at. He remembered vaguely that he had been a little in love with her once before the war. If the war hadn't come just then, he might have become a great deal in love with her. Before the war, one had wanted a rather different sort of person, of course, from now, more of a companion, to discuss things with, more of a stimulant, perhaps, and less of a rest. He remembered that they had discussed painting a great deal. He didn't want to discuss painting now, since he had lost his finger. He didn't particularly want cleverness either, since trench life, with its battery on the brains of sounds and sights, had made him stupid. However, he said, let's come and have tea. And she answered, very well, let's. And they turned into something in the Strand called the Petrograd Tea Rooms. I suppose one mustn't take milk in it here, said Alex vaguely. She looked him over critically as they sat down and said, You don't look much use yet. So I'm told. They say I shall probably have at least a month's more leave. Well, I don't much care. There's a rumour my battalion may be sent to Serbia soon. I met a man on leave today and he says that's the latest canard. I rather hope it's true. It'll be a change, anyhow, and there'll be something doing out there. Besides, we may as well see the world thoroughly on this show while we're about it. We shall never have such a chance again, I suppose. It's like a cook's tour gratis. France, Flanders, Egypt, Gallipoli, Serbia, Greece. I may see them all yet. This war has its humours, I'll say that for it. A bizarre war indeed, as some titled lunatic woman driving a motor ambulance round Ypres kept remarking to us all, 
dear me what a very bizarre war it sounded as if she had experienced so many and as if they were mostly so normal and conventional and flat bizarre alex turned the word over yes i suppose that is really what it is it's the wrong shape it fits in with nothing it's mad my cousin emily says it's a righteous war though of course war is very wicked righteous of us and wicked of the germans i suppose she means and kate says it was sent us for getting drunk and not going to church enough i don't know how she knows do you meet people who talk like that i chiefly meet people who ask me why i'm not taking part in it there was one to-day in trafalgar square she told me i ought to be in khaki i said i suppose i ought properly speaking but that i was waiting to be fetched she said it was young fellows like me who disgraced britain before the eyes of europe and that i wouldn't like being fetched because then i should have to wear c for coward on my tunic i said i should rather enjoy that and we parted pleasantly the wide ones are two and eleven three and the narrow ones one and nine i like b and h's better than evans myself the voice was evie's she was entering the petrograd tea-rooms with young mrs vinney she saw alex nodded and said hello it was basil who made room for them at the table with him and alex the tea-shop was crowded he had met evie once before oh thanks muchly don't you mind evie was apologetic thinking too was company mrs vinnie was introduced to basil settled herself in her dainty fluffiness emphasised by her feather boa and ordered crumpets for herself and evie quite a nice little place don't you think so miss sandemir more a cherche than an a b c or one of those i often come here what's that boy shouting the germans take something or rather a doubt fancy how it does go on doesn't it alex said it did quite makes one feel said mrs vinnie that one oughtn't to be sitting snug and comfortable having crumpets doesn't it you know what i mean it's just a feeling one has no sense in it one oughtn't to give in to it i don't think vin says so too what's the use he says of brooding when it helps nobody and what we've got to do is to keep cheery at home and keep things going i must say i quite agree with him rather so do i said basil but of course it all makes one think doesn't it she resumed makes life seem more solemn do you know what i mean and all the poor young fellows who never come home again i'm thankful none of my people or close friends are gone mother simply wouldn't let my brother go she says we've always been a peace-loving family and she's not going to renounce her principles now percy doesn't really want to it was only a passing fancy because some friends of his went vin says leave war to those that want war he doesn't and he's not going to mix up in it and i must say i think he's right quite agreed basil all this waste of life and money just because the germans want a war why should we pander to them that's what he says let them want he's no prussian junker shouting out for blood there's too many of them in this country he says and that's what makes war possible it's all for disarmament you know and i must say i think he's right if no one had any guns or ships no one could fight could they evie agreed that they couldn't 
forgetting knives and fists and printed words and naked savages and all the gunless hosts of the ancient world. Violette thought always gaped with these omissions, was like a loose piece of knitting, stretched to cover spaces too large for it, and yawning into holes. "'Mr. Doy's been fighting, you know,' Evie explained, since Mrs. Vinney was obviously taking him for one who left war to those that wanted war. "'He's wounded.' "'Oh, is that so?' Mrs. Vinney regarded Mr. Doy with new interest. "'Well, I must say one can't help admiring the men that go and fight for their country, though one should allow liberty to all. "'I hope you're going on favourably, Mr. Doy.' "'Very, thanks very much. "'Well, we must be trotting, Evie, if we're going to Oxford Street before we go home. "'Check, if you please.' "'They're always so slow, aren't they, at these places? "'Good-bye, Miss Sandomir. "'Good-bye, Mr. Doy. "'And I'm sure I hope you'll get quite all right soon.' Basil stood aside to let them out, and looked after them for a moment as they went. 3. He sat down with a grin. Makes life more solemn, do you know what I mean? What a cheery little specimen. I say, I'd like to draw Miss Tucker. Such good face lines, that clear chin, and the nice wide space between the eyes. He drew it on the tablecloth with his left hand, and the handle of his teaspoon. "'She's ripping to draw,' Alex agreed. "'I often do her, and the colour's gorgeous too, that pink on brown. I've never got it right yet.' "'I should think she's fun to live with,' suggested Basil. "'She looks as if she enjoyed things so much. "'Yes, she has a pretty good time as a rule.' "'You know,' said Basil, thinking it out, "'being out there and seeing people smashed to bits all about the place,' and getting smashed oneself makes one long for people like that, sane and healthy, and with nothing the matter with their bodies or minds. It gets to seem about the only thing that matters after a time. I suppose it would. Now a person like that, who looks like some sort of wood goddess, I'd awfully like to paint her as a dryad, and looks as if she'd never had a day's illness or a bad night in her life, is so, so restful, so alive and yet so calm. No nerves anywhere, I should think. Being out there plays the dickens with people's nerves, you know. Not every one's, of course. There are plenty of cheery souls who come through unmoved. But you'd be surprised at the jolly, self-possessed sportsmen who go to pieces, more or less. All degrees of it, of course. Some don't know it themselves. You can often see it by the way their eyes look at you while they're talking or the way their hand twitches when they light their cigarette. Alex remembered John Orme's eyes and hands. They dream a bit too, Basil went on, and his own eyes were fixed and queer as he talked, and his brows twitched a little. Talk in their sleep, you know, a walk. It's funny. I've censored letters which end, Hope this finds you the same as it leaves me, I in the pink. "'from chaps who have to be watched "'lest they put a bullet into themselves "'from sheer nerves. "'You'll see a man shouting and laughing at a sing-song, "'then sitting and crying by himself afterwards. "'Oh, those are extreme cases, of course, "'but lots are touched one way or another. "'I'm sorry for the next generation. "'They'll stand a chance of being a precious neurotic lot, "'the children of the fighting men.' 
It's up to everyone at home to keep as sane and unnervy as they can manage, I fancy, or the whole world may become a lunatic asylum. I say, what are you going to do now? Buy some chalks, then go home. Violette? I'll see you home, may I? 4. They went to the chalk shop, then to the Clapton bus. The evening wind was like cool hands stroking their faces. It was half-past six. The streets were barbarically dark. One would think, said Basil, peering through the darkness at the ugliness, that in Kingsland Road, Zepps might be allowed to do their worst. On Spring Hill too, perhaps, Alex said. Slums and the screaming of the disreputable poor, villas and the precise speech and incomparably muddled thinking of the respectable genteel, which could best be spared. But Basil said, Oh, Spring Hill! Spring Hill is full of joy and dryads. Kate is afraid a very common type of person is coming to live there. We're getting nervous about it at Violette. We're very particular, you know. Alex, with the instinct of a cad, was laughing at Violette, wanting him to laugh with her. Sure to be, he returned, and Alex realised blankly that he might laugh at Violette to her heart's content, and his attitude towards dryads and Evie Tucker's face lines would remain unaltered by his mockery. With a revulsion towards breeding, she said, They're most awfully kind. Here's where I get off. He got off too, and they walked down Upper Clapton Road. 5. Someone came behind them, walking quickly, came up with them, slowed and looked. Here we are again, said Evie, in her clear gay voice. You're coming in to see us, Mr. Doy, I hope. Basil glanced from Alex to Evie. They were passing under a dim lamp, which for a moment threw Evie's startling prettiness in lit relief against the night. Extreme prettiness is not such a common thing that one can afford to miss chances of beholding it. Basil said, Well, may I? Evie returned, Rather, stop to supper. I can't do that, thanks very much, but I'll come in for a moment if I may. As they entered Violette's tiny hall, the clock struck seven. They went into the drawing-room, where Mrs. Frampton and Kate sat knitting. It was stiff and prim and tidy, and rather stuffy, and watched from the wall by the monstrous eye. "'Here's Mr. Doy, mother,' said Evie. "'He saw Alex home.' Mr. Doy was introduced to Kate. Mrs. Frampton said how kind it was of him to see Alex home particularly with the streets black like they are now. Have we a right to expect to be preserved if we go against all common sense like that? I never do, said Basil, meaning he never expected to be preserved. But Mrs. Frampton took it that he never went against common sense. Well, I'm sure I go out after dark as little as I can, but the girls have to, coming back from work, and it makes me worry for them. Now you sit in that easy chair, Mr. Doy, and make yourself comfortable, and rest your hand. It's going on well, I hope. You'll stop and have some supper, of course. We'll have it at half-past seven, so it won't keep you long. Basil said he wouldn't, because he was dining somewhere at eight. They talked of the news. Mrs. Frampton said it seemed to get worse each day. She had been reading in the paper 
that Bulgaria was just coming in. Was that really so? Mrs. Frampton was of those who inquire of their male acquaintances and relatives on these and kindred subjects, and believe the answers more particularly when the males are soldiers. Basil Doy, used to his mother, who told him things and never believed a word he said, because, as she remarked, he was so much younger, found this gratifying, and said it was really so. Mrs. Frampton said, Dear me, it seems as if all the world would have to come in in time. And what about poor Serbia? Could she be saved? Basil, wanting to leave the state of Europe, and ask Evie if she had seen any plays lately, said casually that Serbia certainly seemed to stand a pretty good chance of being done in. And then, I suppose, said Mrs. Frampton, we shall have the poor Serbian refugees fleeing to us for safety, like the Belgians. I'm sure we shall all welcome them, the poor mothers with their little children, but it will be awkward to know where to put them, or what to do with them. They've got those two houses at the corner of the common, full of Belgians now. I wonder if the Belgians and the Serbs would get on well together in the same houses. They say the poor Serbs are very wild people indeed, with such strange habits. Do you think we shall all be asked to take them as servants? Sure to be, said Basil, his eyes on Evie. Evie sat doing nothing at all, healthy, lovely, amused, splendidly alive. The vigorous young bodily life of her called to Basil's own, reanimating it. Alex sat by her, all alive too, but weak-bodied, lame, frail-nerved, with no balance. Kate knitted and was different. "'It'll be quite a problem, won't it?' said Mrs. Frampton. "'My maid tells me girls can't get enough places now. People all take Belgians instead. "'They say the Belgian girls make very rough servants. "'We know those who have them,' said Kate, "'who had the Violette knack of switching off from the general to the personal. "'To Violette there were no labour problems, "'only good servants and bad, "'no Belgian or Balkan problem, "'only individual Belgians and Serbs, "'poor things with their little children and strange habits.' They had the personal touch, which makes England what it is. Mrs. Frampton wanted to know next, And I suppose we shall be having conscription very soon now, Mr. Doy, shall we? Lord Northcliffe says so, doesn't he? Basil returned absently. Mrs. Frampton accepted that. Well, I suppose it has to be. It seems hard on the poor mothers of only sons, and on the poor wives too. But if it will help us to win the war... We mustn't grudge them, must we? I suppose it will help us to victory, won't it? Lord Northcliffe says that too, I understand. What do you think, Miss Tucker? He turned to Evie to hear her speak. She said, Oh, don't ask me. I don't know. Don't suppose it'll make much difference. Things don't, do they? Basil chuckled. Precious little as a rule. So that settles that. He caught sight of the clock and got up. I say, I'm afraid I've got to go at once. I shall be awfully late and rude. I often am since I joined the army. I was a punctual person once. The war is very bad for manners and morals. Have you discovered, Mrs. Frampton? Oh, well, Mrs. Frampton spoke condoningly. I'm sure we must all hope it won't last much longer. How long will it be, Mr. Doy? Can you tell us that? Seven years, said Mr. Doy. "'Till October 1922, you know. 
Yes, awful, isn't it? And frightfully sorry I had to tell you. Goodbye, Mrs. Frampton. He shook hands with them all. His eyes lingered, bright and smiling, on Evie, as if they found her a pleasant sight. In Alex that look seemed to stab and twist, like a turning sword. Perhaps that was what men felt when a bayonet got them. The odd thing in the psychology of it was that she had never known before that she was a jealous person. She had always, like so many others, assumed she wasn't. Certainly Evie's beauty had been to her till now pure joy. As she went to the door with Basil, he said, I say, I wish you and your cousin would come into the country one Sunday. We might make up a small party. Your cousin looks as if she would rather like walking. She's rather past it, I'm afraid, said Alex, and added in answer to his stare, Cousin Emily, you mean, don't you? The Tuckers aren't my cousins, you know, and she's only a dead cousin's wife. The Tuckers aren't even that. No, hardly that, I suppose. Well, ask Miss Tucker if she'd care to come, will you? I should think she'd be rather a good country person. We might go next Sunday, if it's fine. Alex did not remark that Kate was not a particularly good country person. She merely said, All right, mind the step at the gate. Good night, and shut the door. 6. She stood for a moment, listening to the tread of his feet along the asphalt pavement, then sat down on the umbrella stand thoughtfully. For a moment it came to her that among the many things the war had taken from her, Paul, Basil, sleep at nights, were two that mattered just now particularly, good breeding and self-control. She knew she might feel and behave like a cad, and also that she might cry. It was the second of these that she least wanted to do. She had to be very gay and bright. For a moment her fingers were pressed against her eyelids. When she took them away, she saw balls of fire dancing all over the hall and up the stairs. I shall ask Kate, she said. Florence came up the kitchen stairs with food. Kate came out of the sitting room to help her set the table. Alex said, let me help, Kate, and began to bustle about the dining room. You're giving Mother Evie's serviette, said Kate, who probably thought this outburst of helpfulness more surprising than useful. By the way, Kate, said Alex suddenly, giving Mrs. Frampton Kate's serviette instead, I suppose you wouldn't care to come for a long walk in the country on Sunday. I'm going with Basil Doy and some other people, and he asked me to ask you. Kate looked repressive. Considering my class in church, and that I never take train on Sunday, it's so likely, isn't it? And I rather wonder you like to go these Sunday outings, Alex. Don't you think it's nice to keep one day quiet, not to speak of higher things, with all the rushing about you do during the week? Kate felt it her duty to say these things sometimes to Alex, who had not been well brought up. It might be nice, returned Alex, absently juggling with napkins. But it's difficult, rather. I say, I believe I've got these wrong still. I must go and change now. She found Evie changing already, cool, clear-skinned, cheerful, humming a tune. 
It was difficult to speak to Evie, but Alex did it. She even hooked her up behind. She saw Evie's reflection in the glass, pretty and brown. She tried not to think that Evie was gayer than usual, and knew she was. She changed her own dress and talked fast. She saw her face in the glass. It was flushed and feverish. 7. They went down to supper. There was cold brawn and custard and stewed apple and cheese, and what Violette called preserve. An excellent meal, but one in which Alex found no joy. She wanted something warming. It was a pity Mr. Doy wasn't able to stay, said Mrs. Frampton. He's quite full of fun, isn't he? Talks a lot of nonsense, I think, said Evie. The brawn would hardly have been sufficient, said Kate, meaning if Mr. Doy had been able to stay. A little custard, love, Mrs. Frampton said to Alex. Why, you don't look well, Alex. You look as if you had quite a temperature. I hope you've not a chill beginning. These east winds are so searching and your necks are so low. You'd better go to bed early, dear, and Florence shall make you some hot currant tea. Florence says, said Kate, reminded of that, that those people at Primrose have lost their third girl this month. The girls simply won't stay, and Florence says she doesn't blame them. They're dreadfully common people, I'm afraid, those Primrose people. There are some funny stories going round about them, only of course one can't encourage Florence to talk. I believe the amount of wine and spirits they take in is something dreadful. In wartime, too. It does seem sad, doesn't it? You'd think people might restrain themselves just now, but some seem never to think of that. Mr. Allison says all this luxury and intemperance is quite shameful. He preached on it on Sunday night. His idea is that the war was sent us as a judgment for all our wicked luxury and vice, and it will never cease till we are converted, Lord Derby or no Lord Derby, conscription or no conscription. He says all that is just a question of detail and method, but the only way to stop the war is a change of life. He was very forcible, I thought. Perhaps, said Mrs. Frampton, that's what Mr. Doy meant when he said, didn't he know how all these measures, conscription and so on, don't make much difference after all. Oh, no, it was Evie said it, wasn't it? And Mr. Doy agreed and seemed quite pleased with her, I thought. Perhaps he meant the same with Mr. Allison about a change of life. I expect he's very good himself, isn't he, Alex? Evie, to whom goodness meant dullness, said, I bet he isn't, is he, Al? I don't know, said Alex. You'd better ask him. She added after a moment, I'll ask him for you on Sunday, if you like. We're going out somewhere, if it's fine. It was very kind of him to ask me too, said Kate. You must explain to him how it is I can't, with its being Sunday. Across the table, Alex's eyes met Evie's, suddenly widened in guileless, surprised mirth, with a touch of chagrin. Evie said, Why, whatever did he ask Kate for? He might have known she wouldn't. Men are. You're not coming, you're not coming, you're not coming, said Alex within herself, breathing fast and clenching her napkin tight in her two hands and staring across the table defensively out of narrowed eyes. So they left it at that. 8. 
But in the night, Evie won. One may begin these things, if sufficiently unhinged and demoralised by private emotions and public events, but one cannot always keep them up. The policeman paced up and down, up and down Spring Hill. The rain dripped, the gutters gurgled, Evie breathed softly asleep. The dark night peered through waving curtains. Alex turned her pillar over and over and cursed. I suppose, she said at last at 2am, she's got to come. At 2.30 she said, it will be a beastly day, and sighed crossly and began to go to sleep. 9. At half-past seven, while Evie did her hair, Alex said on a weary yawn, I say, you'd better come out with us on Sunday, as Kate won't. Evie, with hairpins in her mouth, said, Me? Oh, all right, I don't mind. Will it amuse me? What's the game? Oh, nothing especial. Just a day in the country. No, I shouldn't think it would amuse you much, especially as you won't know hardly any of the people. But come if you like. You're awfully encouraging, Evie considered it and pinned her hair up. Oh, I expect I may as well come. It will be cheerier than stopping at home, and I rather like meeting new people. All right, I'm on. Gracious, there's the bell. You'll be late, child. If they're half as particular at your shop as they are at mine, you must get into a lot of rows. So that was settled. End of chapter 8